Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Spinoverse. Uh, we have a guest with us today, and uh, really happy to start out on Parsha Titzaveh. I'm Rabbi Josh. He, him, pronouns. I'm the executive director of Goucher Hillel. Leah? My name is Leah. I use she, her pronouns, and I am Goucher Hillel co-president. All right, Bruce. Hello, all. I'm Bruce Winters, and I am a father and a board member of Hillel, not maybe, maybe in that order. And I'm happy to join you today. And I think it's impressive that uh, college students could do a whole Torah portion in 20 minutes. So I'm waiting. I'm anxious. All right. Well, we're going to jump right into it because our time is short, as always. Uh, this week's Torah portion, it's kind of a continuation of last week's Torah portion, which was Taruma, that talks about the sanctuary. So, um, Bruce, do you mind just reading for us the bullet points on the summary here? And then uh, we'll get right into a little bit about the sure, Torah the portion. Quick, quick summary is the children of Israel are commanded to bring pure olive oil for the near Tamid, a constantly burning light above the sanctuary. Second, Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ichamar are chosen to serve as priests. God instructs Moses to make special clothes for the priests. Aaron and his sons are ordained in a seven-day, very long ceremony, and Aaron is commanded to burn incense uh, on an acacia altar every morning and every evening. All right. So probably a lot of things we could talk about here, but we're going to jump right into this whole question about the sacrifice. So, um, and actually, we're actually going to start with the Ner Tamid and go into the sacrifice because there's some there's a couple texts that connect here. Leah, you want to jump into this one for us? Exodus yeah, sure. 27. You shall further instruct the Israelites to bring you clear oil of beaten olives for lighting, for kindling lamps regularly. Aaron and his sons shall set them up in the tent of meeting outside the curtain, which is over the Ark of the Pact, to burn for, from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a due from the Israelites for, <laughs> for all time throughout the ages. Cool. All right. So um, I think here's my question. What, why, what, why would we have this near Tamid? What's this all about? You know, what's, what's the point of hanging something and just having it be there for all ages as this lamp? What are your well, this, is, this is my favorite part of this portion because all this garments and stuff is not my favorite part, but I have to say I did a little homework because I think this evening to morning and constantly, uh, there's all these different interpretations. And just quickly, I got continuously burns, regularly burns, perpetually burns, constantly burns, and evening to morning burns. All uh, different interpretations of the same Torah portion. And what, what's the deal with this near me that we think is so mystical? So I think it's really very cool that we think there's some unbelievable mystery that this thing is always lit and never, ever goes out. And... Um, it's just, I think, I think it's great. I think it gives you, it gives a strong feeling for lots of things. And I, I just love the, the whole concept of the near term mean that it, it brings you closer to God, closer to Torah, closer to learning, shares a light in your heart. I mean, there's like so many great interpretation about what it means and that it, this thing is always burning. Um, although there's different ways, uh, different words, as you can tell, for describing, is it really always burning? Yeah. Well, yeah, any takes? Uh, well, what stood out to me, this isn't really bouncing off of your question, but 
kind of connecting a little bit to something we talked about last week of kind of like what's the same and what they describe when they're setting all of this up versus what's like what they're talking about setting up in this versus how things are different now. Um, and what stood out to me is you do still have that eternal light that's supposed to be going within synagogues. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. So that, right. Exactly. So that same thing is still of all the things that are there in the Mishkan that we're still doing in synagogues. Now we still have this idea of this mm-hmm. near Tamim, this eternal light. In fact, one thing I've seen that some synagogues have done a really cool thing and attached it to a solar panel. Right. So then it really is this sustained consistent light that always is, you know, it can always be on. So during the day it's collecting energy um, and then it can be on at night through using that energy and all of that too. Um, Cause this, this idea of kind of sustainability and consistency is there. Um, so it has a metaphoric use. It also has a practical use because, you know, back in those days, you need things to be lit in order to see what you're doing. Um, but the interesting question about it is that God need a light to see the Mishkan. Does God need a light where he's like a reading light for God, you know? Well, so we read last week, we were talking about the, that God is kind of appearing in this one spot on the ark between the cherubs in order to talk to Moses. So there is some sense. It's maybe like, leave, up, leave the light on for me. You know, um, I, it's not clear. Does God need it? Do the children of Israel need it? Do we all need it together? You know, that, that question's not answered directly. Um, it's really for us to make some meaning about it. So I'm going to, Contra, not contra, compare this piece, which is the beginning of the portion, to a part that comes later in the portion. It's also about kind of this whole question of consistent routine. All right. Uh, I'll read this one. This is Exodus 29. Now, this is what you shall offer upon the altar. Two yearling lambs each day regularly. You shall offer the one lamb in the morning. You shall offer the other lamb at twilight. There shall be a tenth of a measure of choice flour with a quarter of a heen of bent, beaten oil mixed in and a libation of a quarter heen of wine for one lamb. You shall offer the other lamb at twilight, repeating it with the meal offering of the morning with this libation, an offering by fire for a pleasing odor to the Lord, a regular burnt offering throughout the generations at the tent, entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. For there I will meet with you and there I will speak with you. And there I will meet with the Israelites and it shall be sanctified by my presence. All right, so... I think we got to, you can't talk about the Mishkan, you can't talk about the temple without confronting this very uh, uncomfortable thing for us as moderns, which is sacrifice, like sacrificing animals on a daily basis. Now, I know that we've got, you know, for those of us who are non, non-meat eaters on the phone call or have been, you know, vegetarians at some point in our lives, you know, we may have some feels about this. So go for it. Um. Well, the first thing that actually stands out to me is also something we talked a little bit about last week is where God is listing all, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. Where are they getting all of these things? Like if you're sacrificing two lambs a day, are they just kind of wandering over? Did they bring them? Where are they going? Kind of like, where did they find a dolphin in the last portion? Like what's, what's going on here? But actually when I read this, I remembered when I was in Jewish day school in middle school in our class, we actually did a debate about animal sacrifice in the Torah. And I was on the pro animal sacrifice side, which didn't really make sense because I don't eat meat, but I do remember a lot of people were like, Oh, it was a fad. It made sense at that time. Like it was very confusing and i think it's interesting how 
it is one of those things like how we've talked about is very much not the norm now and kind of like how do those transitions happen is kind of like what I wonder um because there there's really no vegetarian option for this part of the the Torah um <laughs> there's a grain offering but not for this is the tamid this is the daily offering so it's necessary it's a lamb it's not just a sheep it's a you know, so that's not just an animal, it's a baby animal. Um, how do we feel about that? You know, there's definitely something that's there and it's not just one a day, it's two a day. Um, so, you know, yes, there is a transformation later once the temples are destroyed that this gets turned into prayer rather right, than right. sacrifice. But we do come from a religion that comes from animal sacrifice. And there are some um, inheritance of that that's kind of still with us in a lot of ways, you know? And so it's kind of up to us to figure out, well, do do we want that? Some people say we want that back when the temple is reestablished, if the temple should be reestablished. Do we say like we're, we've grown past that fad to use your language, Leah, you know, like we're in a new phase now of our evolution. Um, different Jewish thinkers have thought different things at different points in time. Bruce, anything on this one? Just that it seems to be that a, la a lamb and particularly a baby lamb is so valuable you know, I don't know how they'd find it. You're right. I don't know where they found this in the desert, but that they seem to be so valuable that, uh, and that's, and we're willing to sacrifice it. So that that's how, how important it is to serve God in that way at that time, which like you said, has been replaced with prayer after the temple is gone. But uh, that's, uh, it is always disturbing to read so much about sacrifice and the blood and what they do with the blood and all, all that. The only other thing I would say in a somewhat, and I'm, I'm, this is just me offering a different viewpoint on it, is this is how they ate meat back in the day. Essentially, right, some of the lamb of any sacrifice would be burned on the altar. The parts that were deemed to be inedible or parts that were reserved for God, including the fats and things like that. But some of it was left for the priests. And then there are some things like the Passover sacrifice that you get to eat part of, you know, if you bring your Passover sacrifice. So in, in some way you could say sacrifice had some relation to the, it being like the ritual slaughter of the day. Since, since these animals were so precious, there was only the one place, you know, where you could do this, um, this offering though, something, something that there were other altars that happened at different points in time. See, it seems strange that everyone's supposed to do this every day, twice a day. Well, just just one. It's just one for the entire people at the, oh, that at the sanctuary. Okay. Yeah, and that counts. So, you know, I think you, every, there's like, you know, maybe there's a, a round. This tribe has to bring it on this day, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and I think with like the explanation you have of it being like, yes, a sacrifice, but also kind of like for the people, for their food, kind of does make more sense because at the very beginning of the Torah, like God creates all the animals and all like the beauty of the world. So everything can coexist and just create this beautiful world. So you're like, why is he now saying, or why is God now saying kill these animals that are part of the world I created, kill something that I created to, to show me how much you care about me. Um, that sounds really strange and doesn't really make any sense at all. But what do you think of it in the terms of like, don't do it for no reason. Like, yes, do this as a sacrifice to me, but also use all the parts you can to take care of yourselves and feed yourselves and that kind of thing. 
Yeah. I think that is a challenge with a lot of things in the Torah because there isn't a, a clear explanation. It's just do it because I say so. And, you know, I think that is where different denominations will take different parts of the Torah and say, yeah, well, this works, this doesn't work. Though this is a part that's not meant to be coming into the present. Unlike the Ner Tamid, we don't have the sacrifice nowadays. In fact, we're prohibited from making animal sacrifice until there's a temple again. So it's interesting that in 1516, we're looking at a quick commentary here. Um, there's a, a text here that actually actually uses rabbis from the time of the Mishnah. So 1500 years earlier, they're kind of putting some quotes in their mouth and they're talking about these, these things. And basically these, these rabbis are saying, we're trying to find like one verse that stands as the most inclusive verse of like the whole religion of Judaism that's in the Torah. All right. So Ben Zoma says, we found a more inclusive verse and it is Shema Yisrael. Sounds like a pretty good one, right? Shema Yisrael, it's like the Shema, that's our, our byword as a people. You know, the Lord is one. Ben Nana says, we found a more inclusive verse and it is love your neighbor as yourself. All right, that one would go, go over pretty well in a very universalistic landscape. But no, finally, Shimon Ben Pazi says, we have found a more inclusive verse and it is the one from this Torah portion. The first lamb you shall sacrifice in the morning and the second lamb you shall sacrifice in the evening. Rabbi Plony which by the way, means like Rabbi Joe Schmo. That's kind of a random name. Um, stood up and said, the halacha is in accordance with Ben Pazi. Okay, so this is one of these statements where like they put something out there that's like purposely kind of confusing. You're like, wait a minute. Love your neighbor as yourself, Shema Yisrael. Those seem pretty inclusive. This last one, eh, I don't know, right? So um, I'm gonna ask one of you guys to read um, this little commentary by Rabbi Shai Held, who tries to make a little bit of sense of this, this text. You want to read it or should I? You can. Okay. In serving God, consistency and constancy, which I guess is this is a quick summary of above, uh, may just be the most important things in the world. The point is not really that the twice a day sacrifice is more important than affirming God or learning to love your neighbor. The point rather is that in order to affirm God with the totality of who we are and in order to love others in all of what we do, regularity and steadfastness are essential like romantic passion religious experience does does matter though we should be careful not to assume that only ex ecstatic high voltage religious experiences count as experience boy that's interesting and serving god as in loving another person never feeling it can be disastrous but covenant like marriage is not built on experience alone but also on loyalty faithfulness, and showing up. This is what the rituals of constancy in Pasha Tetzavah, I should remember the name of the Torah portion, Tetzavah, serve to remind us. There is no spiritual life without discipline and commitment. This may just be the most encompassing and for many of us, the most challenging principle of Torah. And I guess the uh, point there, obviously, is that it's uh, uh, what's important is constancy and consistency which is uh, all about, you know, doing it all the time and, uh, and doing it right. Yeah. So what do you think of that? Do you buy it? Do you not? How's your, you know, I think like the background, like you kind of explained it, Bruce, like makes a lot of sense with it really being like about just doing things regularly and when, and like showing your appreciation regularly. And that makes a lot of sense when you look at the transition from animal sacrifice to replacing that with kind of like, daily prayer where it being like not the same thing but they're both like regularly and in a scheduled way showing your appreciation to 
God. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, definitely a way to be able to make sense of it, that uh, we do need consistency um, in our lives. Um, and that's a hard thing to do sometimes with religious experience, because we are often drawn to those, looking for those high voltage moments, those like moments of peace or moments of inspiration. And the idea that like, you know, part of religion is like doing stuff regularly, like saying blessings or whatever it might be, is uh, kind of, it's, it's, it could be challenging, but I see where, where the building block is there, you know? All right. I, I, the other thing I would add to that is it's, it's hard to be consistent without just doing things by rote which is sometimes what prayer becomes. Absolutely. There's a weird balance there. And, uh, and I think that was really very interesting. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for coming and joining us for this week's uh, Spiniverse. Next week, we will have another special guest and uh, have a great week, everybody. Shabbat Shalom and happy Purim. Spiniverse is a production of Gaucho Halal. If you'd like to look at the text that we've been studying today, take a look at the link in our episode description. Have a wonderful week.